0: exciting news for you. First of all, we've got a whole bunch of new ministries starting up in about seven days. Uh, Small groups starts next week. Thank you, Mark, for uh, that promo and a bit of uh, elderly uh, prodding of our congregation. If you're not in a small group yet, Uh, I think about 90 some of you at this point are in a small group. Uh, You need to get into a small group um, because I think you're going to benefit from the combination of encouragement and instruction and focus on life application of the Word that are going to be part of that. Uh, Next week, you'll notice those notes that you've got. have got three holes along the side and that our bulletin has changed shape. Uh, and size. That is so that they you can punch three holes down the side. We'll have binders uh, for you that fit those available next week. You'll be able to pick them up and be able to stick that in there. If, if you're um, a bit retentive like me and you like to keep all your stuff together, you'll be able to uh, do that uh, more easily. So we'll have that available for you next week. We'll also have more copies of those notes uh, available next week, uh, as well as the The notes for the following week. After that, as we will, you'll get them a week ahead of when we actually give the message. You'll be able to study and be ready for Sunday morning worship, as you have opportunity for that. Uh, We've got men's fraternity starting this Friday, so if you're a man and you're not at work at six o'clock on Friday morning at six a.m., I hope I will see you there. Uh, Bring uh, with you thirty bucks. Uh, so that you can get a book and all the coffee you can drink for the year. And you'll be thoroughly equipped and encouraged and prodded and um, form some good relationships with other men. It'll be a great time. Uh, it will be, in some ways, a bit like having a knee replacement uh, in that part of it is painful, but afterwards you have increased mobility and our ability to do things maybe you've never did before, uh, some of this will be tough. Some of these sessions I don't apologize for. They are tough deals. They get into some things that are hard, and yet it will be worth it because you will learn to grow and to move and to do some things that you have maybe never done as a man before, and that will be exciting, and you'll want to be there for it. Um Monday the 9th is the first MOPs meeting. September 11th is Awana begins. A lot of things are happening that are exciting. And one of the things I am most excited about is I get to be around all of you, and I get to see you. I don't know if you know this, but I watch you all. Uh, And I observe your lives, and I see that so many of you are growing and changing And stretching forward for the things of God, and that encourages my heart as your pastor in ways you cannot imagine. It is exciting to be part of a group of people who are excited to grow in Christ. And um, also, one of the things that happened this last week, I had a lot of fun stuff happen this week. Karen and I went to our very first, my very first Major League Baseball game ever, and her first trip to Wrigley Field all happened on the same day. Yesterday, we won, by the way, um, four to three, beat the Phillies. Uh, but in any case, um, in any case, that was exciting. My son uh, John was in a football tournament this week. Uh, they came in second, beat a bunch of people. It was great. Uh, they hit people. It's fantastic, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, But one of the other things that happened, I don't know if you know it or not, but last week the uh, regional superintendent of the Evangelical Free Church uh, was here visiting with his two sons, and he did not tell me he was coming. He did not tell the elders he was coming. He just showed up as a mystery shopper so that he could give us some unbiased feedback, and he gave me a lot of feedback, but he also drafted a letter that he asked me to share with you all. And he says, Joe, uh, attending Chillicothe Bible Church last Sunday was a thrill for me. Feel free to share this with the congregation. Chillicothe Bible Church, my name is Mark Ballmer, and I'm your representative from the Great Lakes District of the EFCA. This past Sunday, myself and my two older sons dropped in on your worship service. Uh, If you saw three guys come in on a motorcycle, those three guys. By the way, Gene, props to you. He gave me a special shout-out to you, and he's like, There was this white-haired guy that talked about riding on a scooter, and he made a really special effort to engage me and to help me feel welcome. That was great. So props to Gene on that one. Um, He says, can I just say, our experience was great. We were warmly greeted and felt at home very quickly. We felt there was a sense of community, a sense of family atmosphere in the service. Your worship center is very comfortable and and, and adds to the experience. Your praise team did an excellent uh, job leading people in worship. The offering prayer was so worshipful and well thought out. Pastor Joe, your message was right on target and well delivered. I'm always thrilled to hear such biblically solid and well delivered messages in our free churches. Chili Bible, whether you realize it or not, you have something very special there. Thanks for blessing my sons and I and keep up the good work. Your brother in Christ, Mark Balmer, Regional Superintendent. So I, I... we don't get very many of those, and so I wanted to take the opportunity to encourage you that we do. We have a great thing going on at this church, and um, and I am blessed to be a part of it, and and you are as well. Uh, this is a this is a blessed place that God loves. Uh, this morning we're going back to the basics. We're going back to the gospel, and I know it seems like we talked a lot about the gospel lately, but the gospel is one of those things that you never quite outgrow, or at least is, is something that you never should outgrow. Because the gospel is the centerpiece of our faith, and so I can hardly wait to dig into it. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 this week, and as you make your way there, I want to just tell you that Paul is writing this chapter to correct some things about the Corinthians and their understanding of the gospel. The big thing is that some of them do not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so that is a a theological crisis that has come up, and it has led to a bunch of these other issues. Because the most important thoughts that you will ever think are what you think when you think about God. Because what you think about God is going to determine what you think about everything else in life and about every other decision that you make is going to be influenced by what you think when you think about God. The most important thoughts that you will ever think are what you think when you think about God because what you think about God (laughs) determines everything else in your life, from your behavior to your choices to everything fundamental in your worldview comes down to that one decision, what do I think about God? Who is He? What is He like? How does He interact with humanity? And what you think about that determines everything else. And they have gotten seriously out of plumb on what the gospel is in that some of them don't believe in the resurrection. And let me ask you a question. If, If I were to ask you, what is the most important part of your house, what would you say? The foundation. If you said the foundation... Go to the head of the class and collect your gold star, right? It is not drywall, it's not insulation, it's not trusses, it's not shingles, it's not, it's not wall studs, it's not plumbing, it's not electricity. Those are all important things, but if your foundation is out of square or non-existent, you're in a serious problem because it's going to affect everything else that goes up from it. And so you've got to make sure that you have the gospel absolutely square and level so that you can uh, have a faith that both rises up in the right way as well as sustainable over time. Because with a house with no foundation eventually sinks into the dirt. And in the same way, a house that is built in a way that is that is not square and level, all of a sudden you've got walls coming off in a weird direction and and the roof has trouble supporting itself, and you get leaks and cracks and vermin that come in and so forth because nothing lines up the way it should. The foundation is absolutely critical. And 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 11, are the foundation of our faith. So we want to look at them. First two verses. First, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, again, we want to begin at the beginning. Look at verse 1. Paul is reminding them, he says, I would remind you of these things, because some of them have forgotten what the gospel is. And that part that has to do with the resurrection of Jesus is a fairly significant portion of what the gospel message is. So he says, I'm going to remind you of this. And I'm going to remind you not only of what the message is, but of the fact that we gave it and you received it. And that you have your standing before God on the basis of it. And that on top of that, to the extent that you have salvation at all, it is because of this message that you believe. Uh, It's this gospel that saves you if you are being saved. You are being saved right now from the power and presence of sin and being welcomed right now into the presence of God when you die. You are being saved now... If you are believing in this message, you know, you can believe any number of true and false things about the scriptures and still possess life in Christ and still stand before God and be welcomed into heaven. But if you screw up on this one, you will not be there. You will not enter into God's presence. You will instead enter into God's judgment. This is is the critical area that affects your eternal destiny. And so it's absolutely critical that every person not only understands and believes, but holds to this belief about the gospel. And you cannot cut out the resurrection or change the purpose for which Jesus died or alter the gospel in any of a myriad of other ways that people try to do because if you do, what you wind up with is an empty, vain belief that does not lead to life. And if eternal life is the goal, then you've got to get this clear. So, uh, verse 3 I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, as you look at this, Paul gives us two major truths in verses 3 and 4 that you have to believe in their entirety in order to be saved. The first one is really important. You might want to underline it. I've got a highlighter. Put a highlighter on this. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And if you want to break that down a little bit, he begins with Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. It's a role that He has. It's the Greek uh, translation of of a Hebrew term that's used all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, The Hebrew word is Mashiach, the Messiah, the Christ. That the Messiah, that is Jesus, uh, died. And Paul identifies Jesus as the Messiah because he's wanting to say, look, all of that stuff in the Old Testament, all those hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that indicate who the Messiah was to be and what tribe he was to descend from and where he was to be born and what time He was to be born, and when He was to live, and when He was to die, all the fine details of His life, all of that stuff applies to Jesus. He is identified, therefore, as the Messiah, as the Christ. He is the Son of David. He is the incarnate deity. He's the Christ. He's not simply some kind of exalted man. He's not simply a really good guy who did good things. He's not simply a prophet. He is all of those things. But he is also the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of David. And and then it says also Christ died. Why? What's the text say? For our sins. All right, somebody's out there awake. That's good. Okay, for our sins. Christ died for our sins. In other words, He didn't die simply to be a good example. Christ is the supreme good example, but He he didn't simply die in order to be exemplary. He didn't die simply as a martyr in a lost cause, although He did. He didn't die as the victim of a conspiracy, although He did. He died because we were sinners. He died because he was taking our place, our penalty, our punishment. Romans 6, 23, you remember that verse? The wages of sin is death. All right. And in other words, that what you earn when you sin is death. And so... Somehow the death penalty has got to be paid, either by you or by a substitute for you, and the only substitute God accepts is Jesus, because He is the only perfect man who has ever lived, and as the Son of God, His death has enough value to cover all of us. And so Christ died not simply for us, not simply as an example, not simply as a martyr, not simply as a victim, but for us, according to, as Acts says, according to God's express plan and foreknowledge. That God had predetermined before the world was made that I'm going to create human beings, they're going to fall into sin, and they're going to need a Redeemer. Guess who that's going to be? That's going to be the Son. And He's going to come, and all of human history is going to lead up to this event, and er- everything after that is going to look back on, be shaped by this event. That he dies for our sins, we deserve death. We deserved, in fact, the second death, eternity separated from hell, uh, separated from God in hell. But Jesus Christ dies for us. That's what theologians call penal substitution. That Jesus took our penalty that we deserved, and it was laid on him, that we might have his righteousness and be able to live in the presence of God for eternity. And it was not just a random event. Look at the text. It says, according to the Scriptures, everything that Jesus died, from where He would be born, to how He would die, to how He would enter Jerusalem, to what miracles He would do, it was all foretold in the Old Testament. And He dies according to the Scriptures. And he was, on top of that, really dead. How do we know? Look at the text. Because he was buried. Unless you have a really bad funeral director, they do not bury living people. Amen? And on top of that, Jesus was put to death by a squad of executioners who knew what death looked like and knew how to ensure that it had occurred. They ran a spear through his side to ensure that just in case he was still hanging on maybe even a little bit give him the spear thrust. And blood and water flowed out. You know why? Because when you die of suffocation which is the ultimate cause of death by crucifixion that you lose the ability to raise yourself up on those nails and breathe you suffocate. And when you suffocate what happens is that your pericardium, that sack around your heart, fills up with fluid. And it also fills up with your blood. And so when Jesus was stabbed through the side, blood and water flows out of that pericardial sack. And He was really dead. And He was buried. That's proof that He was dead, is that He was buried. And notice... Uh, how Paul says this. He doesn't assert that he was dead and buried, but that he was dead uh, He was dead, and he was really buried, and then he was raised on the third day. Why the third day? Why is that significant? Because if you look at the Old Testament calendar, I'll tell you why. If you look at the Old Testament calendar, there are some very significant events that are connected with the Jewish calendar that God gave. The first one, the first event of the Jewish calendar calendar in the new year is what anybody know passover passover is the first event jesus christ was crucified at passover and then three days later is the feast of first fruits Paul later in this chapter is going to refer to jesus as the first fruits for among the dead the next one that comes up after that is what Pentecost, 50 days after Passover is Pentecost. What happened on that day? Anybody know? Holy Spirit came on Pentecost. And so God has been doing all of these things according to the calendar that he gave to the Jewish people. The next thing to happen, by the way, is inaugurated with the blowing of a trumpet, which is significant. We'll get into that in weeks to come. Uh, On the third day, uh, in Psalms, David predicted you will not allow your Holy One to see decay. In Isaiah 53, which predicts the suffering of Messiah, Isaiah writes, after suffering, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And Jesus himself, when he was alive, told people, no sign is going to be given to you that I am the Son of Man except the sign of Jonah. Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man, meaning me, is going to be three days in the belly of the earth. The third day is significant. It matters. Jesus was raised on the third day. It happens exactly as Paul says here, in accordance with the Scriptures. And what's the proof that Jesus was raised from the dead? That he was seen. And he was seen on multiple occasions by multiple people. In fact, hundreds of people saw Jesus alive. Uh, The Gospels record 11 different occasions when various uh, groups of disciples see Jesus alive. And then, of course, Paul himself constitutes a 12th occasion when the resurrected Jesus appears. And he goes through the list. He says he appeared to Cephas, that is to Peter, then to the twelve. Now, the twelve is the, uh, the designation for the, the, the twelve apostles that Jesus himself called during his ministry. Now, obviously, by this time, there's only eleven of them. Judas is dead. But nevertheless, they're still referred to as the twelve throughout the scriptures. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at the same time most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. The idea of falling asleep is that's a Christian term for dead because you don't really die as a Christian. You go to sleep in the Lord. And you wake up in the presence of Jesus. You don't die because to die is to be separated from God, and we're not going to experience that. So Paul refers to them consistently as those who've fallen asleep. And then to James... That's Jesus, Brother James, and to all the Apostles. Now, the Apostles there, I think, is this larger group of disciples. I think it possibly includes the 120 who were there in the upper room at Pentecost. Uh, That that larger group of people are designated Apostles. And last of all, he says, to one untimely born, also to me. Now, That bit about untimely born is a really interesting description. It literally refers to a miscarried child who was born prematurely and dead. It's a graphic image that Paul uses to describe himself. And I think the reason he uses that is that unlike all of the other witnesses to the resurrection, Paul was not a Christian when Jesus appeared to him. He was not a follower of Jesus. He was spiritually dead. In fact, he was so spiritually dead, he was, as we'll see uh, later in the text, persecuting the church. He was putting to death people who followed Jesus. And so he says, I was dead. I was born out of time. I I was like a miscarried baby. But God brought me to life through the resurrected Jesus I was persecuting. And the importance of all of these witnesses, these hundreds of people, is the idea that the resurrection is an event that can be checked out historically. It's something that can be verified. It's something that at the time that this happened there were lots of people you could ask. Who are these people who saw the resurrected Jesus? Well there are about 500 of us once. Well there's there's you know Peter and James and the 12 and it, there's even a guy who was putting all of us to death over this and he saw him too. So in other words, it's an adversarial witness who now all of a sudden is following Jesus. The resurrection is a historically verifiable, reliable truth that needs to be held to. Because rejecting it has some real serious implications for your faith. Now, look here, verses 9 and following. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Look at Paul's description of himself. Least of the apostles, not worthy to be called one. Why? Because Paul recognizes his deep, deep unworthiness. He now is a follower of Jesus and now leads the kind of places he tried to shut down and imprison people for belonging to. And he says, I can't believe in some sense that I did that. But more more than that, I can't believe that God, seeing me doing that, said, that's my boy right there. Go get him, Jesus. (laughs) And that's what Jesus did. He shows up on the Damascus Road and says, Paul, well, not Paul, Saul, at that time, why are you persecuting me? And he goes, who are you? <laughs> I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Whoa, as Gomer Pyle said, shazam. <laughs> you know, uh, I didn't know he was real. Uh, wow, <laughs> you know, I mean, this is an uncomfortable moment for Saul, Right. And all of a sudden, he meets the living Christ. He's blind for several days afterward until he's healed by a follower of Jesus and able to see again and then instructed. And he says, look, and after this, I went out and I was sold out. And it's true, he was. He went to prison more times, got beat up more often, was a participant in more riots as the subject and planted more churches than all the other apostles, in fact, combined. And went to a martyr's death. And he says, and I, it wasn't that I did all that, it was that God was gracious. He was gracious in saving me. He was gracious in using me. And he wrote more letters than anybody else in the New Testament. But God greatly used him because of his great grace toward him. And Paul recognized it. And he says, and regardless of who was doing the preaching, this is the message. This is the message that you believed. This is the message that gives life. And by the way, this is the only message that gives life. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And that he was raised from the dead on the third day. And that in his resurrection, we have new life. That the same power which raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit, is that which gives us new life, which brings us into fellowship with God, which enables us to live as followers of Jesus. It's that message, not some other message. And it's only that message which is able to bring life to the dead. And that is... You know, Paul shares this message. He says, look, I preached and you believed, and ultimately that's what the gospel is for. Amen? It's to be proclaimed. It's to be shared that it might be believed that its power might transform people. And, you know, we've talked about all these ministries that are coming up and all these things that are exciting that are happening and that you all are doing. By the way, I'm only involved in a couple of these. Small groups, men's fraternity, these kinds of things, right? We've got MOPs, we've got Awana, we've got Sunday school, we've got women's Bible study, we've got all kinds of stuff happening. And, and you all are the ones leading it and doing it, which I think is great. It's fantastic. Do you know what we're doing all that for? So that Jesus Christ might be exalted, that the gospel might go forth out of this place, and that people might believe it and have life. That is the purpose, that we have the gospel not as a treasure to be protected, but as a gift to be shared with other people. And that is what we are about as Chile Bible. This is, If you want to know what the heartbeat of this church is, it's that the gospel might get out of these walls and out to the people who need to hear it. It's why we support missionaries. It's why we do ministry. It's why I preach God's word, that we might have our lives be transformed, that we might be light and salt in a very dark world. By the way, if God does not bring further judgment on our country, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Amen? Because we live in a dark society. And do you know why it's so dark? Because there are hundreds of millions of people in our country who do not know Jesus. And the only way that changes is if the gospel starts coming out of our mouth. That the gospel as it goes forward is powerful. And it is only powerful though if it is proclaimed. It must be lived but it also has to be proclaimed. Because nobody ever came to Christ because they live next to me and they realize I'm a nice guy. But lots of people come to Christ as we say, Did you know that you are a sinner who is destined for hell? And that, by the way, God loves you and sent His Son to die in your place, just like He died in mine. That you might not share that destiny with lots of other unbelievers who have rejected the Son, but that you might come to faith and be adopted into God's family and might be given through the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead on the third day the ability to live a new life and to be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Did you know that? And if they go, oh, no, that's uh, something I never heard. Well, you know what? You need to believe it and receive it for yourself because it's the only way to live. And it's the only way to stand before God. And that is what we're about. I hope that's what you're about. Because this is what the this is the exciting stuff. You're like, man, where, where when do we get to the exciting stuff of the scriptures? This is it. This is the message that gives us life. This is the message that gives other people life from the dead. This is it. This is the centerpiece of everything the scriptures are about. Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead to bring sinners into his family. Let's pray. Father, I have done my best. (laughs) I can hardly contain my excitement sometimes over the gospel, which saves us from sin and death and hell. And I have done my best to exalt Jesus and to lift up the grace of God. Father, I pray that the gospel might be active in our lives, that by its power we might be transformed and live in a transformed way, but also, Father, that it might be proclaimed by our lips, that we might go forth from here unable to shut up about the one who saved us, and who gives us such great salvation. Father, I pray that we would be passionate followers and devoted proclaimers of the one who gave so much for us that we might receive so much from you. Father, we pray in Jesus' name.